0: All right, Sydney, how are we doing today?
1: I'm great, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad to do this uh, webinar with you here. And uh, we just went live on uh, Facebook. So uh, this is going to be exciting. And we're going to talk about uh, what $10 million earns an investor in New York City versus what $10 million will earn an investor in a city like Trenton, New Jersey, kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I know you have a building for sale around that price range in Manhattan. And uh, I underwrote an apartment building in Trenton that we were very close to buying uh, earlier this uh, year. And uh, we'll be comparing those two. So um, it looks like one of our attendees uh, has their hand raised. Uh, What I would suggest to our attendees here, thanks for everyone jumping on. Glad to see more people jumping on here. If you have any questions as we go along for Sydney and I, please type them in the chat or the Q&A. And Sydney and I will uh, pause as we go through and we'll we'll take a chance to answer those questions as we go. And uh, that's probably the best way to uh, get everyone's questions answered. I see you have your hand raised there, Ben. I'm not sure uh, what I could do for you, but uh, please type your question in the chat and we'll be able to uh, answer those questions as we go along. All right. but um, Sydney, why don't you give yourself a little introduction and talk about what you do?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Sydney Blumstein with the Blumstein team at Corcoran. I've been in residential and a little bit of commercial real estate for 17 years in a family business. Um, I started when I was five years old. No, (laughs) Um, I live and work in New York City. I am a mom of 16 month old twins and I beat up everybody on the basketball court when I needed to get my real estate frustration out. And the current property I'll be chatting with Aaron about is a mixed use townhouse for sale in Nolita, north of Little Italy. It's really the heart of the city um, for locals and tourists alike. And it's a super unique property because although it's a townhouse and an original building from the 1890s, it was got renovated in 2010.
0: Wow. Interesting. Okay, Um, so you were able to do. um, So I'm sorry, I'm just looking at the questions here. Okay, so that's amazing. So it's a townhouse. So tell me about this, this piece of real estate. What type of real estate is it?
1: Sure. So this is a unique property, um, 23 feet wide, 50 feet deep, and it's big. It's a quadruplex, a residential quadruplex over a store. So in the store, you have a bubble tea tenant actually called Baba Guys. They're paying nearly 8000 a month with 3.5% increases annually. And they're triple net just on their space, which is pretty common in New York. They contribute to the cost of operating the building um, proportionally to the space they have, which is about 550 square feet. They have a constant flow of business during the hours that they're open. And up above in the quadruplex, which is really cool and turnkey, three beds, three full baths, three half baths, three different outdoor spaces. We have a tenant paying 27,500 a month, and their rent is going up to 30,000 on January 1st. Um, So overall, this building is bringing in nearly $40,000 a month income for the owner, who I believe paid $2.1 million, but um, put about $2 million in to go down to the studs, repair this building, every element of it. So when you walk through it, it's really structurally sound. It's not one of those historical West Village brownstones. It's super elegant and modern, multiple staircases, no elevator, but it is turnkey.
0: At People's Capital Group, we help you invest in real estate. Build your wealth by owning professionally managed apartment buildings in the northern New Jersey market. We want to show you how owning real estate is attainable, even for the busy professionals that don't have the time or experience investing in real estate. Now, we only work with select people who are serious about building wealth. So find out if you qualify at peoplescapitalgroup.com. So in total, so you have a commercial unit on the first floor and then one kind of big unit above that or four units above that?
1: Correct. Uh, Quadruplex is one unit over four floors.
0: Okay. So like a big, fancy townhouse, a really nice kind of luxury. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah,
1: um, it honestly would do incredibly well in the short term furnished rental market, which is unique in New York. We don't have a lot of that inventory, sure. um, but most landlords will opt for longer term tenants to ensure they're taking in income each month.
0: Yeah. So that's interesting. So you have two big units essentially that are, are commanding a nice, strong rent. Uh, and then, uh, what are, what's the cap rate on the building? Do you have that off the top of your head?
1: Yeah, Current cap rate at our new asking price of 8.9 million is 4.6%, which is pretty good.
0: Okay. And that takes into account all the expenses, the management, maintenance, utilities, and so on. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, and honestly, our owner just told us he may even be more negotiable. So that cap rate could get higher.
0: Ah, okay. Well, Hey. Everything's negotiable. That's rule number one. That's
1: true. <laughs> Only way that's, to find out is to ask.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's right. A closed mouth doesn't get fed.
1: Absolutely. Exactly.
0: So that's interesting. So you have two uh, units. there. So that's a very unique type of property. And um, so a four cap there. And for our uh, listeners that don't know what a cap rate is, uh, do you want to define cap rate?
1: Uh, I'll kick that over to you,
0: Aaron, <laughs> sitting in front of
1: the People's Cap Group.
0: Yeah, you're right. I should know how to define a cap rate. So the way I define cap rate is it's a simple formula that investors use to analyze the uh, the value of a building uh, essentially uh, versus the uh, cash you're investing. So um, you want to find a property with a cap with lower cap rates demand indicate that the cash flow is going to be lower on a piece of real estate. Higher cap rates indicate that cash flow is stronger on a piece of real estate it's the net operating income so your uh, income minus your expenses before your debt service divided into uh the cap rate gives you a property value so you can also do your uh property value divided by your net operating income to give you the cap rate percentage. But the way you figure out a cap rate is generally you go in and when you're looking at a market, you call up a broker like Sydney and say, hey, what's the going cap rate for buildings in this area for these types of properties? And newer, nicer pieces of real estate and higher demand markets are going to have lower cap rates, uh, lesser desirable properties in, in older properties and lesser des- desirable markets are going to have higher cap rates, but it's essentially a quick calculation to determine uh, the value you're getting when you invest in a piece of real estate based on the the current cash flow of it, though. So a cap rate doesn't always tell the whole story. Uh, A current cap rate on a building that's mostly vacant is going to be dismal because it's not creating a very strong net operating income. or sometimes you can have a building with really, really high expenses that you can fix that problem. and again, it's going to have a lower net operating income and that's going to really lower your cap rate. So it is a quick number that you know we can look at, I can Sydney say, hey, I have a property that's a two cap. And I'll say, sorry, Sydney, I'm not interested. I only buy properties that are five caps or greater. And, but that might not be the whole story. I might wanna look into that. Maybe it's a two cap because half the property is vacant and I can lease it up and and get the cap rate to where I need it to be. Um, So you also wanna recognize a pro forma cap rate, which is uh, a a cap rate that you ideally can accomplish with the building. So that comes with an asterisk, hey, you you might need to renovate, You know, get tenants out, lease up units for top dollar to achieve this cap rate, right? So that's the, the goal is to achieve that pro forma cap rate and then there's an existing cap rate, which again doesn't always tell the whole story, but can give you a quick number to evaluate the value of a building and if you're overpaying for it or if it's a great deal and you should move on it. Um so it was a long-winded explanation of a cap rate. And I probably- thought it was
1: great. You know, yeah. I think one of the elements of real estate that you touched on is that property is not just its cap rate. There's so much more beyond that. And that's why often visiting a property in person is imperative.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I understand for investors, especially if they're looking in markets where they don't live, Um. uh, that can be harder. But I do feel that especially in New York, where our inventory is just definitively limited by virtue of our geographic nature of our city physically Mm -hmm. entering a building and understanding if you have structural issues or large-scale capital improvements to deal with does impact just that number that you're being offered so Mm -hmm. this is where sometimes hiring a residential professional in the commercial realm is great because we go in on things like the age of the mechanicals the age of the roof what's the history of real estate tax increases in this area things like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the best deals are found when you go digging. You know, it's funny, I do a presentation every quarter about how to, where the best markets to invest in. And I guess you can call it clickbait because the conclusion of the presentation is generally, uh, it's not about the market. It's really about creating deals within that market. And you can find deals in any market. There's very desirable markets like Manhattan and there's less desirable markets like Trenton, New Jersey, which we'll break into today. And the bottom line is making a deal is just that you're, you're creating a deal with the seller. You know, there's many different variables uh, not just beyond price that you you negotiate with a a sale of a transaction and price is the most important thing, but uh, deals are created. They're not always necessarily just found, you know, they're not like sitting on the open market. They're created with uh, doing good uh, deals, you know, and there can be deals in the open market, but you do have to go in there and negotiate uh, of course, unless you're buying Sydney's deal, in which case you should pay full price. Just to Top parse.
1: dollar. Pay over <laughs> ask. Come on.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's break into our topic here. So what I'd like to do today with you is... Um, uh, we were underwriting a 63 unit apartment building in Trenton, New Jersey this summer, and we ended up not moving on it for a bunch of issues. There are a lot of red flags, which I can kind of get into, uh, but it kind of got worse and worse and worse. The more we the more layers we uncovered. So we ended up not moving on the deal. But um, that, that was 63 units. They were asking about uh, 10 million. There was a point we probably could have got it for about 9.8 or so. Um, And that was actually high for Trenton. It was one of the nicer pieces of real estate there, bigger units, bigger building. One of those old uh, factories used to be a cigar factory They converted into uh, apartments. And they were kind of like luxury loft style apartments, the tall ceilings and so on, big parking garage, really nice piece of real estate, a very beautiful Spanish colonial type of architecture. So, um, but that was a uh, 63 big luxury units in Trent with a parking garage, you know, for, uh, about $10 million and, um, holy mackerel, you know, luxury, a 63 unit, luxury apartment building with a parking garage, uh, in Manhattan would be, you know, five times that, right? So, uh. At At least. least. (laughs) Yeah, at at least, right. So I mean, we had an
1: apartment here that just traded for $50 million, just one. no. So
0: so clearly my knowledge of the NYC market (laughs) is is not good. And that's why I brought you on here. Um, So I wanted to compare uh, your listing or just really in general real estate. um, But you know, you're talking about a a luxury uh, building you have there, which is technically two units for uh, almost $9 million, you know, which is incredible. And that's uh, it's probably going to trade, you know, somewhere around there. I know the market's taking a hit right now, so we'll see where it goes. But heck, if you were listing it a year ago, you probably would have got, you know, the the, the asking there. Um, so I want to kind of break into why, you know, we're talking about an hour and 20 minute car ride between these two markets, you know, and uh, there you are able to get so much real estate through your dollar uh, in Trenton, but then in Manhattan, so little real estate. So on the surface, someone would say, "Well, I'm just going to invest in Trenton, New Jersey." But again, that might not be the right answer. Just like looking at a cap rate and saying, "Oh, it's a good deal or a bad deal," it's not always that obvious. Um, so, uh, you know, explain to me, uh, sell me for a minute on why uh, you know I would buy a, a two-unit property essentially for 8.9 million dollars. Like, why would an investor do that?
1: Well, first of all, as they always say about real estate, regardless of market or timing or time in history, it's all about location. Mm -hmm. And when you walk out of this building, you're on Spring Street between Mott and Mulberry. You are in the heart of everything. Two blocks up is the Supreme Store where people wait in line for two and a half hours. The distance it would, you know, the time it would take you to get to Trenton and back to even shop for shoes. So New York is, listen, I I will be the first to say that I am biased. Mm -hmm. I was raised in Union Square. I'm a native New Yorker. I'm diehard. I'm raising my kids here. New York is the center of the universe. It's where Mm -hmm. everybody wants to go. You ask people if they've ever been to New York, they'll say, I went once for a week and it was (laughs) life-defining. Eight and a half million people crammed on an island two miles wide and seven miles long. (laughs) It's about the heart of this place. And you can tell that by the fact that people are willing to pay more for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I live in a building. So the building we're talking about, 35 Spring Street, is about 5,000 square feet above grade. I live in a converted warehouse that sounds along the lines of your Trenton property in East Williamsburg. So it's a mile east. Um, Mm -hmm. And this property was $2 million for more footage, more buildable, taxes that are a third the size, and it rents for actually the same pricing that this property does. Mm. Um, So location can be micro neighborhoods or macro, but I think that if you ask someone, where would you rather live? Trenton, New Jersey or Nolita? They're probably gonna say Nolita. But if we put on our investor caps and we're just looking at the finances of the deal, Mm -hmm. I, something that really moved me in real estate school was that the less units you have, the more challenging your vacancy can be. Mm -hmm. So for me, if we go into a down rental market and my owner doesn't sell and I can't find a residential tenant for upstairs, we have a much bigger issue with our vacancy. Whereas in your 63 unit building, if you have two vacancies, you still have 61 tenants there. Um, Obviously that's a lot more work for your management team, for your facilities team who are ensuring that plumbing electrical windows are up to date. Mm -hmm. Um, But also if you have two vacancies for three months, it's not breaking the bank. Whereas for Mm -hmm. me, a two-month vacancy is quite crushing on the cap rate and for the owner's return.
0: Yeah. Well, location, 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 right? I mean, there's a million things you can change about your property. You can add a level, you can knock it down and build something new. You can uh, do whatever you want. Turn it into a, a well, not whatever you want. There's zoning restrictions, <laughs> but, especially in New York. Yes. Um, but you know, uh, you can't change your your location, right? That right. that's the one thing you can't change. You're literally buying a location. You're buying real estates, uh, right? So that's that's the magic. It's tangible. It's right there. You can drive to it. You could touch it. So, um, and uh, that's and also the the demand for New York City. So on a more macro level. Right. Uh, Two years ago, you would have you would have heard professionals, uh, experts say Manhattan's done. New York City's dead. The demand will never come back. People don't want to live on top of each other anymore. Uh, The pandemic has changed how we live. Have you seen that uh, that no one wants to live in New York City
1: anymore? Definitely not. (laughs) The L train was crowded this morning. Um, (laughs) I think that a lot of people who choose to be here are here for the elements of New York that aren't talked about a lot. The Mm -hmm. 24-hour nature of life, the Mm -hmm. fact that you can have anything on demand, delivered, the fact that if you're feeling lonely you walk out on the street and you can walk into a bar and meet 15 other people who also want to meet you um the challenges of this city whether it's the price of real estate or getting on a crowded l train this morning are really offset by the beauty and intoxicating nature of walking down the street and getting to see a fashion parade just by virtue of the humans going to work Mm -hmm. um i i am like many native new yorkers who have country houses that are within an hour or two hours of the city Many of us escaped during the pandemic just to take a breather. But if anything, the city has come back more full force because the fun of what's happening here is incredible. The nightclubs are filled, the bars are full. I think that a lot of people who left the city don't actually want that car lifestyle that you're required to have outside of New York. Mm -hmm. You can live in, I know a lot of native New Yorkers who do not have driver's licenses and never have and don't intend to.
0: Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I could not yeah. imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like driving. I don't know. I guess I'm a car guy, but uh, no, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, I, I hate driving when it, there's traffic and I'm sitting of there, which uh, there's plenty of in both New Jersey and New York, but <laughs> um, interesting. All right. And um, and it, what about the, the restrictions though? I mean, as a landlord, I... Uh, one of the things that bl- I'm, I don't really like investing in, say, Jersey City or Hoboken because the landlords are treated just unfairly there. I mean, when a tenant moves out uh, and I renovate the unit, uh, I have to then even go in front of the rent control board, show them how much money I put into the unit, and they'll allow for a fractional increase based on that investment amount. And we've run the numbers. We need to invest like Fifty dollars to $80,000 a unit sometimes just Ooh. to be able to increase them to fair market rent. Um, and that doesn't even make sense. Why would we invest that? You know, we're talking about basic uh, rental units here. So um, it, it just seems like it's very unfair to landlords. I know it's even harder in New York City. So how do landlords navigate that red tape?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what's really cool is free market rentals in New York are like the Wild West, a landlord can pin their price anywhere they want, wherever the market will bear. We've actually just come out of a market. We're just finally starting to cool down where a one-bedroom apartment that was previously renting for $3,000 just traded for 6,500. Oh. Um, and not only did it trade for 6,500, but I'm sure you saw the TikToks or Instagram stories of lines down the block. Oh. Um, and we saw it in every single price point. We, our team has a listing consistently rented for 12,500 for the last 10 years that just traded for 25,000. The inventory was so tight here, and this dives back in on location and demand that our prices jumped so significantly. Mm -hmm. The only protection for tenants here is really the length of time your landlord has to inform you if they're increasing your rent. Mm -hmm. So there are restrictions set up that way. And New York is a tenant friendly city It's why most landlords hire a broker to oversee the subleasing of their property because you do need a very strong lease to protect you because almost all landlord tenant cases are sided with the tenants in new york
0: yeah yeah no that's that's got to be a huge challenge to navigate that red tape and um so subleasing so that means in, in that case you're explaining a scenario where someone would have a rent controlled unit be getting it for you know, uh, a really uh, below market price, and then they lease it out to someone else for the market value and keep the difference?
1: Uh, no, just traditional subleasing, just an owner who's taking on a tenant. Rent controlled oh. and rent stabilized here is really its own animal. It's traditionally not handled by brokers. They mm-hmm. tend to be passed down within a family or to other family members, and it is very challenging to find these units. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the actual percentage is, but I believe it's very low.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, on the uh, so in New Jersey, here every market has different rent control. You know, it changes from Hoboken to Jersey to Bayonne. You know, we're buying a property in Bayonne, New Jersey, right now. Great place to invest, very similar to Jersey City in many ways. Um, but the rent control is different there. It's much more landlord friendly, there's 100% vacancy decontrol. So when someone moves out, even of a rent controlled unit, it goes immediately to the fair market. And uh, we don't have to go in front of the rent control board and prove we did this renovation or that to get the uh, rent increase to a fair market. And then for existing tenants, um, there is some restrictions. But for the most part, uh, it, it's a little of the Wild West. You know, you go to different cities and sometimes you call the rent control board and the, or there is no like rent control. It's just like, you know, a, a housing director kind of generally oversees it or something. But no one's really sure what the rules are and uh, no one really enforces them either. And so it's very strange. I've been to cities like that. And then I've been to cities like uh Jersey city or even Newark where, you know, uh, some tenants have rent control on speed dial there. And, you know, the smallest thing goes wrong there, there they are. And uh, yeah. We- if you, uh, you know, get a nasty call from a tenant to the rent control board and they, they would call us up like we're the most evil people in the world. They're like, oh, OK, we didn't know about that problem. We'll fix it or whatever. It was very one sided, it seemed. And uh, but, you know, it, it is a tough thing to navigate in New Jersey. It's why many investors choose to go out of state into the southeast or southwest and uh, to avoid rent control to go to red states. Um, in fact, one of the books I want to write is Navigating Red Tape in a Blue State. I think that would What mm. do you think about that title.
1: I love that. I think that's great.
0: <laughs> so I think, I
1: think what you just said is really important that knowledge is power. And that's why a professional like yourself spending the time to do interviews or webinars like this is really a blessing to the people listening um, to be able to find resources. That's just such a new concept. When I started in real estate in 2006, there wasn't any where for me to go to learn about this i had to go in person to a networking meeting this has really been an evolution in our business um and something really unique also in new york is we have huge in new york city is we have huge demand for short-term furnished rentals because hotels are so expensive right so there is a sub market like for example if our tenant moved out of 35 spring street my owner could furnish it and be commanding somewhere between 2,500 and 3,000 per night.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Now, what, what about the Airbnb rules though? I thought you weren't allowed to do Airbnbs in New York City.
1: So Airbnb is still very fluid. Um, the complicated nature of Airbnb is when you are listed on the actual site, because then you are subject to 36% hotel occupancy tax. If you choose to do a short-term furnished rental through a brokerage or a, a broker like myself, you're not subject to the rules and regulations of Airbnb. Mm,
0: interesting. Yeah. So uh and, and there are now brokers that specialize in finding short term tenants, I suppose. There right? is
1: actually a huge market for that because so many, for example, celebrities will come into town to be in a Broadway show for a month or right. we recently worked with a director who was here for six weeks to film a TV show for HBO. They don't want to sit in a hotel for six weeks. They Mm -hmm. want a kitchen. They have a dog. They want to feel like a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Um, But most contracts on traditional rentals are six to 12 months. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to live somewhere for anywhere from two nights to six weeks is really, it's a specialized and niche market. And you have to be in buildings that are not co-ops or condos to be able to do that. Right. So that really pumps up the value of a townhouse like this one mm-hmm. and makes your nightly rate wild because <laughs> you know, a typical hotel room at the Rivington Hotel, which is 5 blocks away, is going to be $800 a night. Wow. And that's just a room.
0: Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. So you find short-term tenants uh mm-hmm. And it can't be through Airbnb and then you're able to lease those up. And at the end of the day, I mean, as a landlord, 36% tax, I'd rather pay my broker, you know, maybe 10% of the rental price, something like that, right? What's normally the commission someone pays on a short-term lease like that? So
1: short-term is also, the fee is very fluid. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's up under three months, it tends to be half a month's rent. Over three months is usually subject to one month's rent to 15% of a year's rent
0: hmm okay, interesting. But It all in-
1: depends here if you have your own representative and honestly, every broker shifts their fees according to what they feel is good and what their company allows.
0: hmm hmm okay, all right, very interesting. Um. All right, so then we're talking about, so you're listing there, so that's a big two-unit property, mixed-use piece of real estate. Uh, do you know what the taxes
1: are on that property? Yes, they're 26,000 a year. I was just about to ask you what the taxes were in Trenton.
0: Ah, oh, boy, uh, like at least over a hundred, grand. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a big problem. Well, it's a
1: much bigger piece. Right. Um, right. What's complicated is here in New York, when you change, when a property changes hands, the city does assess value again. Mm. So like, for example, this owner who paid 2 million, if he mm-hmm. transacts for 9 million, the buyer is going to have the assessed value recalculated. But wow. in this location, I don't anticipate it going up that high. Um, although in the West Village, we do have properties that have annual real estate taxes of 150000 a year that are the same size, if not smaller than this townhouse.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. And um, that's one of the things we uh, we fear when we buy buildings as well. In New Jersey, a lot of cities do reassessments and you call up the tax department and you say, hey, I'm buying this building. You know, It's assessed at 2000000 million. I'm buying it for $4 million. Are you going to reassess it? And the person responsible for tax reassessments will say, I don't know. We'll decide when the transaction comes in. And you're like, what do you you mean? You don't know. You work for me, buddy. You're the government. (laughs) And they're like, no, actually, you work for me. Uh, So, and uh, But yeah, the tax man's interesting because they they won't tell you if your taxes are going to go up here in New Jersey. They just kind of decide when the transaction comes in. um, I've seen that go up and then we have to fight to reassess it lower. And I've seen them just ignore the transaction and nothing changes. So um, the unpredictable nature of it is frustrating. Uh, The attitude generally of bureaucrats is also frustrating. That's a different podcast, a a webinar. (laughs) Definitely.
1: (laughs) Or maybe another book. But I (laughs) think also what's interesting is a lot of people get very emotional about New York City or property in general. And sometimes they walk into something where none of the numbers work on paper, where it's like, this is a million dollars overpriced, or there's no elevator and it's fifth floor walk up. But in their fantasy, they always lived in the West Village in an apartment that feels like Moulin Rouge. And it just ticks every box of their fantasy and all of their calculations or cap rate concerns or taxes concerns go out the window. Mm. And it's really fascinating to think about emotional purchasing like that, which I know is probably not the way people's capital group functions Mm -hmm. when they analyze property. But at least for me, when I walked into my home that I own now, Mm -hmm. all the numbers did not make sense. And I Mm -hmm. still jumped because I was just in love and I could see the future with it. Um, and part of that may be because I grew up in a converted loft, you know, mm-hmm. similar to your Trenton property, mm-hmm. that my parents paid $36,000 for wow. on 11th and Broadway. Mm-hmm. That's now worth $4.5 Oh, my God. <laughs> every single person who they told about it told them they were crazy. Right. So... Sweet. You know, interest rates were 17%. They weren't able to borrow the money. They took it from my dad's bot. Like this whole story Mm -hmm. on paper looks like a bad real estate investment. And (laughs) here we are sitting 50 years later and the appreciation is mind boggling.
0: Oh my gosh, right? Don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate, wait. that's
1: Oh, that's great. May I write that? that (laughs)
0: yeah. <laughs> that's uh warren buffett i think uh said that one don't wait to that's buy real so estate good. buy real estate anyway you haven't heard that one that that's a no, good no i
1: love that
0: oh my gosh i got i gotta write this book oh my you God. gotta you got you got the verbs. <laughs> steal other people's quotes oh boy wow yeah and that's what i love about you know i have, I have stories like that not, not quite quite that but you know i bought a building uh in newark new jersey right across the river there um and uh, near uh, rutgers university in 2013 and they are asking 135 thousand dollars for it it was a five unit a mixed-use property and i really wanted it for 130 so i was like i'm not going to do the deal no way and then i was like you know what i think it's a good deal in the long run i think i'll do okay on it maybe it'll be worth like 200 250. um so i bought it for 135 paid the Mm -hmm. extra five put like another 50 or 60 into it recently uh refinance got my money back out in a year or two I recently uh, refinanced it again, and it appraised for six fifty. So, wow! Let's go! Let's That's go! Great. <laughs> All tax-free money right in the old pocket there, and uh, in my investment fell. Oh yeah, and um, so really good experience for us and our investors there, and. You know, it's funny, I would have avoided buying that over $5,000. You know, at the time, if you asked me, I'd be like, ah, I think it's a good deal, you know, but I really wanted it for less. And I feel that way every time I buy a piece (laughs) of real estate. Like the first year, you're like, "Ah, I wanted it for less. And, you know, and then you're off to the next one anyway. But, it, you know, then over time, you work in the project, the repositioning, improve the building, force equity into it. And real estate does tend to go up over time if it's managed properly. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I
1: mean, the constant reduction to the ridiculous is one of my favorites. It's like, if I could have told you when you were buying that building, you're going to see a $500,000 return, would that five grand have mattered to you at all? Like,
0: of course not. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, Mm -hmm. something we do a lot is like, because we will get into negotiations in New York where deals die over Mm $1,000. So, we'll say, if you own this for one year, like, Mm -hmm. Do you understand how much that is monthly or daily? And sometimes I think reframing is really helpful for people because Mm -hmm. like I said before, the emotions of real estate do tend to take over. And if I had a crystal ball and could show you the future... I have a lot of clients bought houses in Bushwick, Brooklyn, when that was not even a place that people wanted to go. And they all, all turned right. around and made a million dollars profit in three years.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it. And uh, I was talking also the tax side of this, right? So I was talking to Vester the other day and he's uh, done very well in a building in, in Brooklyn as well. It's worth like $4 million now. Mm-hmm. He bought it for like less than half a million a few years ago. And, and at this point, or many years ago, at this point, he's about to sell it. He's at a retirement age. And uh, the, his biggest concern is taxes, right? We had an hour long conversation about, well, maybe 1031 it, but then he's got to you know move, keep the money in real estate. He wants to do this and that, and maybe he could uh, do some financing, but then he doesn't really get the cash and he's eventually got to pay taxes on it, or maybe he does this. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I was like listen, the the best strategy in real estate is to buy, renovate, refinance, harvest that yeah. equity growth. You have the management systems in place uh, for commercial buildings and apartment buildings that are going to service that debt, you know, produce cash flow, uh build in value over time. Um, but and then when you do sell, do a 1031 tax deferred, trade into a bigger property. I mean, the the amount of just, Tax savings, the amount of wealth growth and with the 1031 tax deferment, and just using these tax tools, you know, the refinance, for example, to harvest equity growth instead of selling a building, what we do is we harvest our equity growth through refinance and allows us to pay off for the old mortgage, take on a new mortgage, a safe amount of debt, low interest that the bank's going to allow you for the property You know, you're not over leveraged. But that big lump sum payout on the refinance, the cash out refinance, is a tax-free liquidity event for investors and, and for ourselves. And, you know, I, when you run the numbers, you're like, okay, if I pay myself a hundred, I remember when I, my third year as a realtor, I made $150,000. I was like, all right, I'm rock and rolling here. I'm good at selling houses. I got, started making a team, you know, I joined REMAX. I was crushing it. And then the tax bill came in. It was like $30,000. And I was like, shoot, I... Bought an Audi. I have this nice condo in Hoboken. I have this lifestyle now around making this amount of money. And I was like, I gotta go sell houses for the next three months to pay my tax bill. You know, as a young, dumb 25-year-old. And uh then I was like, wait a minute, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I-, I know the teachings of that I should be owning real estate, refinancing commercial real estate, harvesting that equity growth through refinance, not paying the tax man, keeping my money in my account, not the IRS, and uh. You know made a, a a real change to my lifestyle and my business model at that time and uh toned things down you know i, I uh, sold the audi and got a hyundai and i said i'm gonna do this the right way you know i'm gonna invest my capital not just spend it on a lifestyle build my asset class pay myself through those assets and uh, essentially avoid taxes and now i can pay myself the same amount in a year and uh i get money back from the government at the end of the year it's it's incredible so um it's you know the tax the, your tax strategy um has to be worked into especially when you're buying equity based real estate which is you know New York New Jersey real estate tends to be an equity play meaning that we don't really buy with cash flow in mind and, you know of course we always everyone loves cash flow i love cash flow but um the the bottom line is north jersey real estate and new york city real estate doesn't make very good cash flow uh sure. day in and day out but the equity side of it, if done the right way, if you make your money when you buy and you buy the right price, pay, pay the right price for the building, um, which by the way, is definitely 8.9 million for your listing, just to clarify. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Appreciate that plug. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <book. laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, you pay the right price for the building, you keep your renovation costs low, force equity into the building. That does allow you to then harvest that equity growth. And that can be a tax-free payout where cash flow is taxed. So- right. You know, I explain this all day long to investors. Listen, you know, if you're going to make a 12% return on your investment, right, and you're investing $100,000, you can either make uh, $12,000 a year and give a third of that to the government, or you can get one big lump sum payout, which equates to 12% annualized return, but you're going to get a, say, year four and one big lump sum and pay no taxes on that and keep 25%, 35% more of your money. Which one do you want? Most people are like, yeah, I'll take the big lump sum with no tax consequences. Like I get a lot more money and it's the same at the end of the day. Um, and if you're short-sighted, which is the wrong way to invest, then you say, no, I want that 12% every single, uh, you know, year. I don't care what I have to give in taxes. I just want to get paid as soon as possible. You know, it's the most important thing, but like really you want to keep your money at work and you want to avoid paying taxes. So, uh, obviously there's no right or wrong way to invest. A lot of people invest strictly for cash flow, And I understand that, but a great, a better tax strategy tends to be investing on the equity side. And that's how it seems most of your investors make the returns in New York city. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think you need to always have a five to seven year horizon in New York city because our market cycles tend to be six to eight years. Mm -hmm. So anybody who's trying to make uh, every single seller I've ever worked with, who is buying out of foreclosure, doing an inexpensive renovation and trying to flip quick is tortured by the markets. <laughs> Things change too quickly. We just have a listing that our seller paid $799 for 40K in and demanded a million dollars and no one wanted it. We mm. did a beautiful, beautiful presentation, virtually rendered everything, mm. made ourselves endlessly available to show. And sorry, the market doesn't bear that right now. There's too much insecurity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That that is definitely, you know, one of the challenges of getting into it. That that's why I'm not a big flipper. You know, you gotta there's so many things you have to do right to flip real estate. And, and I know many people, people do very well with it. And I've fixed and flipped over 50 properties and I've done plenty well on, on many of them. I've made six figures on a single flip. But boy, there's it's not really scalable. First of all, you get to 12 projects going at once. It's very hard to scale up, but um, it, it's you also got to time the market you know you have your construction costs which are constantly going over and, and hard to predict so flipping is a very hard way to make money in this this business and i think it's a shame a lot of the hgtv shows uh make flipping seem so glorious and fun you know i i bought this property for four hundred thousand. i put a hundred thousand dollars into it and i sold it for six hundred thousand. so i made a hundred thousand dollars in profit you know they tell you at the end i'm like pulling my i can't even watch those shows they make me so crazy well, they
1: never reference the therapy that the flippers have to go through,
0: <laughs> <laughs> or any other costs. Like, oh, you have no closing costs, no holding costs, no resale costs because you're on TV. That's amazing. I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize you. you didn't have any of those costs like the rest of us because you're on TV. That's
1: awesome. Of course, yeah. That that is tough, and I think also for people in New York, like this is not a flip friendly city. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yeah. We don't have enough inventory that is in the state people are seeking and the cost to renovate here are too high. Double parking on the street is a $150 ticket every day. Right, that has to right. be factored into your expenses.
0: Oh, my gosh. And uh, and to build right the red tape to build, you know, that's like um, that was the whole idea behind. Let me connect cryptocurrency and real estate here. Uh, So the whole idea behind Bitcoin, which I now hate and will never ever invest again in cryptocurrency, but the whole idea behind it was that they're not going to make any more of it, right? And I was like, oh, what a genius idea, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute. That's the kind of the whole idea of real estate. It's so hard to develop a new apartment building in Manhattan, right? Like if you tomorrow, me and you were like, hey, let's develop a new apartment building in Manhattan. We'll bring in the money. You bring in the builders. You find the land. Let's do it. You know, it would be like five years till you even had a condo to oh, sell. yeah. And that's, and that's if we were like, damn good at it, you know, um, chances are it'd be like seven years. So it's such a barrier to entry. You know, there's so much red tape. There's so many things you have to, you know, find the opportunity as well. So building, you know, is really, really difficult in the, both New York and New Jersey. But that's actually also it's double-edged sword because that could be good for us property owners because that's almost a guarantee you're always going to have strong uh, property values. You, you find that with your, you know, building is tough. Oh, and- Yeah.
1: I totally, I think what you just said is incredibly savvy um, and why the new development market here is very challenging because most of these developers put together their plans and three years later developing and producing the product and they're in a completely different market than they planned for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things can be out of date and the pricing strategy is usually the most out of date. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's why you start seeing lots of developer concessions, 4% commissions, pay all your closing costs, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do agree, you know, like there is limited space where I am Mm -hmm. and owning anything here is great. The only onus is not being so heady that you feel your property is worth more than the market can bear. Mm -hmm. The coolest thing you can do in New York City real estate is underprice your property. Mm -hmm. The reason being, there are so many people watching and wanting a deal that they've heard about from the 70s that if they see something underpriced, they're willing to jump way up over to make it happen (laughs) compared to when they see something overpriced and they'll literally sit patiently for a year until it comes down. And that's why there's a joke you want to be the third real estate broker because by the time someone comes to you, they're mm-hmm. exhausted of the process and they'll do whatever you say.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that Joe. I remember that as a, uh, one of my specialties when I was an agent is I would call expired listings and I was really good at Uh, working with those types of homeowners, also with short sales, because it was 2010, 2011, like all you could do was move short sales to make any commissions as a broker. And uh, so I figured out uh, how to do short sales really well. And I also figured out most realtors didn't really know them yet. Uh, It was kind of an unknown part of the market then. And uh, they would list them for sale at the amount they owed to the bank. So Mm -hmm. here was this like, you know, $400,000 home being listed for 600 grand and no one would come and look at it. And I'd be like, well, that's not a short sale. A short sale is literally the offer is less than the loan amount. So let's price it at what the property is worth. In fact, let's price it a little below that. So we get, you know, a frenzy going with the buyers and a bidding war and, um, that was a great strategy. I met a lot of buyers that way. I met a lot of sellers. I said, "Hey, I'm going to move your short sale quickly." I teamed up with a short sale negotiating company and was able to delegate that, which uh, was no fee to the seller or me. And it was a nice, uh, a nice system I had, and it also allowed me to meet a lot of investors and learn from them, and uh, was the foundation of uh, People's Capital Group essentially. Um, but you know, finding that niche, you know, here's how you do a short sale. Okay, I'm going to call expired listings. Man, I just went on the MLS and I was like, expired listings in like these five counties and hit the phone just June, 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 you know, and uh, and it worked. I got like 14 listings in like two weeks, and uh, wow. yeah, like totally crushed it. So, you know, also, there was it was a time when the, it was kind of for the taking, like so many realtors in 2010, 2011 were just giving up, and uh, and I yeah. get it because you'd list something and. We just keep dropping, the, keep having that conversation with the seller every two, sorry, I know you're going to hate me, but now we got to drop in another 50, you know, so it was a tough times. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's, I mean, the best thing about a down market is it gets bad brokers out of it.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely, absolutely. Yep, yep. Um, no, it's been, a, it's been a really nice experience, though, transitioning in the investment side. And um, so let's see, what's our conclusion here? If, I know we talked about many different things, not really particularly about these two properties. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, right, well, I'm, we're looking at obviously more units for your, your investment amount in Trenton. We knew that. That's an obvious thing. But, um, you know, location, location, location is a reason to invest in your deal, um, having more units under one roof and not being hinders as much through vacancies and repairs is a reason to buy the deal I'm looking at. Um, but then there's also the charm of Manhattan and being in a location where people have that frenzy, that kind of like, unrealistic uh, desire to live there. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, 40 minute drive into Manhattan. Uh, my dad would get on a train every day at 7 a.m. and go to Manhattan and, you know, always you know kind of complain about the, the commute in and out. And um, so I was one of those Jersey kids that grew up with Manhattan being always readily available. But then I would go back to my suburban home and ride dirt bikes through the Great Swamp with my friends all day and and like really be more of a country boy you know and i grew up riding dirt bikes and atvs and that's that was kind of our thing we did out here in the suburban country sticks of uh central and north jersey uh which you really can't do anymore as as a boy it's terrible they shut all that down but um i i would look at manhattan it was almost like so available to me i went there so many times and kind of uh i I guess I I just, I'm a country boy, kind of lost its charm for me, you know, when you're commuting in. I think if you live there, maybe it's a little more easy to enjoy. Is that safe to say?
1: Yeah, I think it's different when it feels like it's yours. You know, the rest of the world is pursuing it or trying to get here. And you're Mm -hmm. just, it's like, like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it because it's the only thing I know. Mm -hmm. But I married a native New Yorker. My brother married a native New Yorker. My Mm -hmm. parents are... So I think it's also innate to us to feel like it's better than anywhere else. I think that's in the water a little bit, like you drink Mm -hmm. the Kool-Aid and listen, if you got 10 million bucks, it depends how you're going to look to use it. Are you looking to really diversify your investment, which investing in 63 units is is a diversification of types or are you looking for something a little more streamlined and high-end
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I think the best thing any buyer can do is consider all options especially mm-hmm. if you're not emotional mm-hmm. in your purchase which is one of the best things I think I learned from you today is that like you know, if you were emotional about that 5K in the Newark purchase, look mm-hmm. how much you may have lost out on. So yeah. I think tempering your emotions, looking at something, taking the time to consider and really doing your due diligence is the yeah. best way to go about real estate always.
0: Yeah, exactly. Don't invest short-sighted and invest long-sighted with a good goal, you know, be realistic with your numbers and diversified. It's probably going yeah. to have some class A real estate like you're selling, you know, the best rung of real estate. And it's probably good to have some class C real estate that I was looking at in, in Trenton, New Jersey, kind of have the whole spectrum there. But, it, you know, the bottom line is too, if you're a passive investor or you're getting into investing, invest with experienced professionals, work with a good yeah. broker like Sydney here, work with an investment <laughs> team like uh, People's Capital Group or another investment syndication where you can kind of team up passively and learn from them as well. So, Um, It's important because I've seen a lot of people also, you know, take the plunge themselves and hire their brother to do the renovations and, you know, their mom manages it, you know, and like, I've just, I've heard horror stories that way too. And now now the brother's suing you like that. You don't want that, you know, just, you know, well, your family business works out. I'm sure your family never argues about Never, never. Amazing. We
1: lead lead with love and we know that we can be united under one heading, but do our own businesses. So we're the perfect Venn diagram of family business. And I think, like you said, work with people you trust. It's okay if you're related to them, but have boundaries.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Try not to discuss business at the Thanksgiving table.
1: Yes, 9 p.m. cutoff every night. <laughs>
0: there you go. I like that. I like that.
1: So, well, I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for including me. I learned a lot. You're very knowledgeable. And
0: this was cool. Thank you, Sydney, and me as well. I really enjoyed it. Uh, how can people reach out to you?
1: Um, you can find me on the Corcoran website, or I'll just give you my phone number because people are out there, 917-435-3697, or follow me on Instagram, NYC. And I'm inviting everybody who's listening to a party at our venue in Brooklyn, Casa Powers. Come check it out. A party? What? When is this party? It's every single night. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we wild. own a warehouse that we converted for event rentals, short-term furnished rentals. You can see it on Instagram as well. But super unique. Not a traditional real estate investment, and functioning as though it's super high level. So have a look, it's, it's really one of a kind and I'll leave you with the mystery of it.
0: Wow, that New York City mystery. Oh my gosh, uh, uh, maybe I maybe there is a thrill to the city I, I miss sometimes, but have I you- have over-
1: we, got, we gotta <laughs> go out, you know? <laughs>
0: I know, I gotta get back out there. Have you ever rode a motorcycle before though? I have. Okay, okay, how about a dirt bike? Have you ever gone off-roading? I have. Whoa! Wow! You're well
1: rounded.
0: Oh my god! I
1: am. I am oh. a city kid, but I just purchased 250 acres in Pennsylvania because I want to get a side by side of my own.
0: No way! Oh my <laughs> god! Oh man! You're a lot cooler than I thought, Sydney. All right, I guess you. You
1: too. You too. <laughs> Appreciate
0: it. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone joining us here today. I think we had a really fun conversation, covered a lot of topics, you know, dug in a little bit to the two properties here, but we really went on a lot of different topics here, had a lot of fun. And of course, uh, check us out on uh, peoplescapitalgroup.com. You can get tons of content there, over 120 uh, podcast episodes. We put up a new webinars almost every other week. And we're doing an event January 10th at the uh, Cyclone Brewery, uh, Jersey Cyclone Brewery in Somerset. So Sydney, you're more than welcome to join us there as well, although it would be a heck of a, a drive for you. And uh, but that's going to be a lot of fun. Big networking event. That's January 10th in the evening there in uh, Somerset, New Jersey, the Jersey Cyclone Brewery. So if you haven't checked that out, go to peoplescapitalgroup.com. You can click events and sign up there. But um, awesome, Sydney. A lot of fun today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you.
1: Appreciate you. Have a great end of your week.
0: Thanks. See ya. Bye. Bye.